Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! To another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are here to talk about two Spurs games. I would like to commend everyone involved in this podcast on their timing last week that we did not record after Burnley. Unfortunately, it did not spare any of our listeners the result we were trying to avoid, but still, at least, at least it spared everyone a very down podcast. So, kudos to us on that. This week we have two games to talk about. Before we get to that, I want to remind you to follow our Twitter feed at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And leave us a nice five-star review on iTunes because we're good boys and we deserve it. Uh, Now it's time to jump into this podcast, uh, you know, on the heels of not only an exciting Spurs victory, but perhaps uh, one of the best new Spurs players songs in recent memory. It is Ben Daniels. Ben, how are you doing tonight? I am feeling pretty good. <laughs> you feel good about our result Whoa. against Are you feeling pretty good about our result against Leeds or are you feeling pretty good about something else, Ben? I'm feeling pretty good about Spurs fans bringing ABBA into into your lives, you uncultured swine. What is the best uh, football song, Ben? Well, until the the new gimme 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 a Sweden a ginger from Sweden song um came out. It's hard to say, but now it's definitely that one. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like there's so many songs that are like all the same song. Like it's like football fans have heard like six songs in their life and they just like repurpose them over and over and over again. And it's nice to see something different that like might catch on. Well, and it's funny because one of my favorite Spurs songs is the Erickson song which was the Holtby song before that. I'm sure it was someone else's song before that. Like, the Delhi song is probably, like, the one original. And I'm sure some listener will tell me it isn't, but it felt like the one original Spurs song. All right. Yeah, I don't... I, I think there are other Achy Breaky Heart songs out yeah, there. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. <laughs> the lyrics, <laughs> at least, felt original. Yeah. And then coming to us from the slopes of South Florida, back after a week hiatus, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, you missed a fun one, and then, you know, we had a bad result. So I don't know if I'm going to blame you or feel bad for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, either one. Um, but, yeah, I was really disappointed I didn't get to talk about Man City. And then I was like, oh, oh it's okay. I'm going to get to talk about us kicking Burnley's ass. And then, well, you guys saw it. So, you know, here I am. You, you you hit a you hit a bad uh hit a bad uh I yeah, can't remember what the hell the bumps are. You have a bad bump and then yeah, forget forget uh, uh, tricky mogul. Yeah, yeah forget sure, what games what, what the game is like after Spurs have a huge win against the big team. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, Brian, what's your favorite football song? Uh, Moose Sissoko song. It's simple. You can do it while you're drunk. You can do the hand thing, and um, you know it's a good song. It is a good song. I mean, I've definitely yelled that song at a bar while winning at foosball. Um, annoyed people that had no idea who I or Musa Sissoko were. Um, and it's a, it's a great song. 
I have got to say my favorite Spurs song is Oh, What a Night, which isn't terribly original or terribly clever, but I could sing it drunk a lot, and my son got a real kick out of it when he was like two months old. So, like, that's what I'm going to go with. I like the uh, the Dembele Black Betty song that never quite catch up, caught yeah, on was, that as was, well as it should have. It should have, yeah. We used to be like a, a rules committee or something for this because, like, we need more coordination. There's not enough good songs. No, it's, it's just I just can't get enough about any any player you can think of. <laughs> so yeah, so we have some fun games to talk about. Well, we have one fun game to talk about: uh, roller coaster. Uh, some of which was fun, some of which wasn't. Uh, Spurs just whipped the shit out of out of uh, Leeds United four 0 this past weekend at Leeds. Uh, this was pretty comprehensive, and I think if you didn't predict it going into the game, I think you pretty much saw this coming as soon as uh, as soon as we scored our first goal. I know that we all like to joke about Dr. Tottenham, but if there ever felt like a gimme, uh, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, but this sure felt like one. I mean, Leeds have been on the skid for a, skids for a while. I mean, Bielsa feels like he's been... It's any week now he's going to get fired. We apparently finally did the honors. But, I don't know. They just... Between the way they play and how open they are and just how bad they've been, this just felt like a team that was asking for it against against the Spurs squad coached by Conte. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, they, they had some really bad results, and so it was pretty easy to look at this and go... Oh, this is one we should win, but um, that's, I mean, Burnley too. So. We said, well, we said that against other teams, so fair enough. Yeah. I mean, the um, thing that we're, oh, we're the always good was, against. Ben, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Ben, Ben, finish. No, Brian. No, please, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, sir, please. Uh, no, uh, the only thing I was going to say is that, you know, tactically speaking, Leeds set up with like this man to man press, which is something that Southampton did to us um, that you saw that, like, that could be a way to effectively disrupt um, Conte's system, but then Leeds are doing it with, like, a fourth-choice team where they don't have Calvin Phillips, they don't have um, their first-choice striker. Um, you know, they just... it They they weren't even on the same level as us. Yeah, and, like, the press, like you said, is definitely something that we've struggled with, but conversely, we're always very good against teams that want to play ball with us and aren't going to, like, keep things tight, and Leeds is suicidal in that respect. And like you said, they're just not good enough right now to play that kind of football personnel-wise. And, uh, yeah, it worked out. It was, I mean, it was a fun game to watch. I think Conte got it right. I mean, one thing Conte said after the match that really stuck with me was, like, this is the first game where I really saw my influence on the pitch, which is obviously horseshit, but... I think what he means by that is like our wingbacks were so, or our, our fullbacks, whatever you want to call them, were so influential in this match. Uh, Doherty, I think, probably at his why best. Wouldn't match. We, why wouldn't we call them wingbacks? I mean, well, I, I, I hesitate to call Sessignon a wingback, but fair enough. I, our wingbacks then were very, I thought, influential. I thought Sessignon probably had his best game in his Spurs shirt. Doherty did too, although that's a much lower bar that he's clearing um, and that Doherty felt useful. Maybe that's just because he scored a goal. But because I think Leeds was just so ill-equipped to deal with us, I, I feel like the whole team found a lot of joy a lot easier than they did against, say, Burnley. But our wingbacks in particular, I thought were 
really effective in a way that they haven't always been. And I thought, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Sessegnon this week. And it's because uh, in the aftermath of this game, he's been apparently offered an improved contract at Spurs. And there's been a lot of Spurs fans who are riding Sessegnon. And, like, I don't know, I'm kind of of two minds about this. Like, on the one hand, I still don't feel like we've seen the player we were told we were getting when we bought him. On the other hand, I don't think I can deny that, you know, this is his first, I want to say the last couple of matches, his first real extended period of starts with Spurs. And it's certainly, whether or not you think it's good enough to be a starter at Spurs is another question, but it's certainly the best he's ever looked at Spurs. I just don't know, like I, like we were talking about, this, this lead team wasn't very good. And I don't know how much stock to put in this performance, which is probably a little bit unfair to Sessegnon because I do like him and I want to see him succeed. But I don't know because it, it was a very it was a very weird game in that respect. I mean, you can only play who's in front of you, and I thought he did and certainly did a good job at that. I mean, I think the issue is like it's been such a roller coaster these last few weeks. You know, losing to Wolves, beating City, losing to Burnley. Like you can't read much into anything. You know, if someone has a good game against City you would think they would then go have a good game against Burnley and then don't, you know, I have no idea how to extrapolate any lessons other than just tenuously clinging to hope and Conte's comments about this being, you know, the match where it all clicked, Um, you know, particularly that first goal where Sessegnon feeds Doherty and like, you know, the wingbacks have been such a crucial part of Conte's plan that just really haven't come together um, since he's been here seeing that kind of goal materialize is a step in a really positive direction tactically. And so, that, I mean, I hope that was a fantastic pass. I mean, the vision on that pass, the way he shaped it. I mean, there's, you can't criticize. I mean, you might be able to say a better team cuts that out, but like, I mean, it's a great pass. I mean, it, that's the kind of thing I think he was advertised as being able to do. I think we're so and Brian, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Like may, and maybe I'm just saying this is, a Spurs fan who got brainwashed by uh, years of road of peak Rose and peak Walker. Like I'm, but I feel like in world football in general, no, no, no. I feel like we're used to like, you're not an excellent fullback if you don't have a motor and Sessegnon doesn't have that. Like he's not, I mean, Sessegnon's, I mean, Regulon does, but Sessegnon doesn't. And is that, I mean, do you need, is someone like Sessegnon who doesn't have pace to spare? capable of doing the kind of things that um Conte wants or is it just like you know is it is it okay that's fine against Leeds but maybe not against better teams I mean pace never hurts like there's never a situation which you're like nah, he's just too fast it's actually not really you know now with the way we play he should really be slower it'd be better <laughs> um so uh, you know I I think having players who do have an extra gear or who have a good first step or or, or good acceleration are always useful. Um, just because you don't have that doesn't mean you can't be useful. I mean, look at, you know, Ben Davies' continued existence. Um, you know, uh, I think in Sessegnon's position, uh, you just have to adjust what you expect of him. Uh, you know, he is not beating a man around the corner and then playing the little cutback at the at the end line. Um, 
he's he's not you know getting up to contribute on the break um he's trailing and providing width and then you know either passing in from the from wide or crossing early uh and and that's not bad um that's gives you another angle it gives you another option in attack um it may not be ideal if you pair him then with another slow ponderous wing back on the other side and then you don't really have a lot of pace to stretch teams um on the counter or to threaten them on the break or, or, or whatever the case may be and i think that's kind of the problem with this spurs squad as constructed like absent uh lucas and son there's not a lot of guys on this team that scare you with their pace and you know peak walker and peak rose did provide you with that um you know whether they were they were varying degrees of you know actual attacking effectiveness in terms of their final ball and everything but you know having pace and athleticism certainly helped their overall game and helped all the team's structure and the way we did things um it, it's not bad for him Seth does lots of other things but like yeah well, it'd be great if he was about two yards faster it's it's like you said there it's the thing about Sessegnon is kind of and he's faster than this guy but it's kind of like Ben Davis was you know back when he was a left a left back for the team which is you get him in the final third and okay yeah he's not Walker or Rose but he makes good passes he makes good moves he's I mean he's, he's dangerous when you get him up there the problem is a getting him up there and b getting back now I think that's less of a problem for Sessegnon but it's, you know, compare that to Regulon, for instance, who's just like, you know, gets on his bike anytime that the ball starts moving upfield. It's, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I like Sessignon a lot and I hope it works. It's just. I think the thing with Sessignon and, and the fullbacks or wingbacks in general is that, you know, back in the Pochettino days, we were playing with true fullbacks and the amount of ground they had to cover on both ends of the pitch was just astronomical. Um, and playing with wing backs and particularly covering those wing backs with two very defensive minded midfielders, as seems to be Conte's plan, you know, means you don't need them to like hustle back as much because you have coverage behind them. They don't need to have played the full length of the pitch at top speed all the time. You know, the thing where it limits us is um, Regulon was very good at providing an outlet and like getting upfield very quickly to be on the receiving end of it, a long ball from Dyer or, you know, if he ever plays with Romero, um, that would be valuable. Um, and so, like, having him and Doherty on the pitch together means we don't have the ability to play that ball to that position that quickly. Um, and so, yeah, that's going to hurt us. But, you know, adding a guy like Kulishevsky, who's been a much better outlet in possession than Lucas ever was, uh, um, you know, Kane and Son obviously do what they do. You know, we, we talk a lot about like the balance of everything. Like it, it seems like it can work. It's just, you know, yeah, sure. It'd be nice if he was faster. <laughs> Let's talk about Kulishevsky because I think he had a stellar game uh, against against Leeds, and I think he's been stellar since he got here. I mean, obviously he's made some major contributions: goal and assist against City, another goal in this game. Just constantly dangerous. Honestly, it's. It's one of those things that I feel like we've been talking about for years, the kind of player we'd want to see sort of take Lucas's spot. 
and it's it's kind of surreal to see it actually happening and how much of a difference it makes. I mean, he's just Kulishevsky's stellar. I mean, he's really good. I'm very high on him. I don't know if he's going to like maintain this level of performance, but you know, I mean, there were Juve fans laughing at us when we bought these two guys, and both of them are just outstanding players. Like, I, I don't. I, I mean, maybe. I, I, again, I'm not going to pretend I'm familiar with Juventus's roster, but they couldn't find something to do with Kulishevsky, who just moved all around our attacking bands since he got at least on the right side of the mid of our field. Uh, he's just he's just a stellar player. He's so comfortable on the ball. He's providing passes. He's providing shots. He's providing goals. It's just I mean, God. It's so nice to watch him play, even if he's like the ugliest player on our team. I think the thing you have to remember, and is that uh, Juventus fans are idiots. Seems like. Um, so I wouldn't take anything that they say seriously. Um, Huge assault on the uh, Italian working class. Do you have a response to that, Ben? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, look, the fans of every big club are just by numbers. Just a huge assault. Out. A huge assault from... Wheeler Dealer Radio DSA on the working class of Italy, of the factory workers of Italy, factory workers of, <laughs> of the Fiat, the Fiat workers throughout Italy. Just huge assault. <laughs> I'm very disappointed in you, Ben. Anyway, Brian, continue. I'm sorry. Um, and but like, it was this week was interesting. Uh, for the, in the Leeds match, like that goal is like the exact thing that it, it. All of us that were like consuming Kulishevsky YouTube highlights after we signed him or we're in the lead up to signing, we're like, what does this guy do? Like that him holding on to control of the ball from, you know, being in the corner to then in the box and then the little ball roll and the nutmeg. And like, that's, that's what you see in those YouTube videos. And it's like, Oh shit, he can do that in the Premier league. And he is, you know, strong enough to hold up the ball against, you know, the 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 more physical defending in England and you know whatever like he's he's good like his like he looks awkward and ungainly and you know and like Harry a teenager has, <laughs> yeah like you know Harry Kane's looked that way for years and he's still an effective player and, Harry Kane and, whatever else you want to say about Harry Kane his complexion is much better than Kulishevsky's sure yeah I I think I think Kulishevsky would be uh, better served by really like committing to his beard. Um, and just seeing like Molly Ringwall is never going to go out with him if he does that. So, you know, just, just shave it. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but... is that a thing people saying he looks like Ducky? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I just like Ben said, or Greg said, he's been great. Uh, he's doing cool stuff. He's giving us that outlet that we didn't have. Uh, you know, he, he's, his touch is good. His dribbling is good. Like, I, yeah, he's been great. I think the best thing about Kulisowski is that he gives us a new guy to be excited about in the attack. And, like, we haven't had that in so long. It was like... Uh, we had know, Gareth Bale last year. Yeah, okay. But, like, you know, <laughs> since, since Sun got here, it's like we keep like we talk ourselves into Lucas a little bit, but like we all know that Lucas kind of sucks. He's just been good for some moments. Same with Bergvine. You know, we dreamed on him, Don Blanlo Celso, and they mostly gave us flashes and not like anything super consistent and super productive. Like we just haven't had like a fun, consistent attacker to be like excited about. Like 
I feel like we're all tired of Kane and Son just having to only talk about them and like them to be the only guys on our team like really doing anything. Like we just miss having a new guy. Like I think that's really important as fans to just like have a new guy. Well, our our occasional uh, guest host Ryan Rosenblatt has said to me about many teams that I follow in the past, but Spurs in particular, like. If you're a team like Spurs, you need to do what happened with Sun a lot, which is, like, bet on a pretty good player who becomes great. And, you know, like, I don't know if Kulishevsky's going to be great, but it's, like, that feels like the kind of thing we're doing with him, or at least it has a better chance of succeeding with him than anyone we've kind of gotten in a while. Maybe, like, Bergvine is the last guy we sort of tried it with, but I think we're all a little more sold on Kulishevsky, if only because... He's had success in a major European league, which, you know, sorry, Air Divisier, you're not quite a major European league. Um, you know, so it feels more sustainable, but it's just, he does so much. And I don't even mean that in terms of where he plays. It's just, you know, Brian, like you were saying, like he passes, he dribbles, he shoots. Like it's, it's just, it doesn't feel like a one trick pony in the way that like Lucas kind of does, where he's like, he's going to get the ball deep, he's going to turn, he's going to run at five guys. Sometimes he's going to get through and score a goal, but usually he's going to dribble down a cul-de-sac and lose possession. It just feels like he's so much more a part of the play and that he's part of that attack with Kane and Son, which is what I think feels so exciting, Ben. Like, it feels like a cohesive hole as opposed to like a guy who gets thrown on there and just does stuff occasionally, which is how I would describe Bergvine and Lucas. Right. And Dombele. And Dombele, yeah. Exactly. Well, Dombele wishes he was in that category. So He did so many fun things. He has several fun goals. Just in complete isolation <laughs> from the rest of the team. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I can't believe, like, I mean, I absolutely can't believe how quickly everyone was to write him off after a 20-minute sub-performance. That was fine. You know, everyone was so mad. With less than a week in the team. Less than a week in, in England. Like, Right. If people were so mad that we didn't get Diaz and, and Liverpool did. And, like, just we're just so prepared to, like, call this guy shit. And now he's everybody's favorite best friend. Well, and I'm, I'm fully prepared to admit Diaz could be and probably will be, especially at Liverpool, a better overall player than Kulishevsky. But I'll say this, like, for a team that has a lot of work to do, like, you don't have to work very hard to put Kulishevsky in that lineup at Spurs. I think you would have had to work much harder to put Diaz in that same lineup. Now, which doesn't mean you shouldn't have done that, but, like, I think Kulishevsky might be paying dividends for Tottenham a lot quicker than Diaz would. Yeah, I mean, we found ourselves, you know, insisting that getting Los Celso was better than Bruno Fernandez, and I still stand still by true. that for still true. reasons. <laughs> Fuck that guy. But, yeah, I mean, for now at least, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with how things shook out. I may... You know, <laughs> be singing a different tune a year from now, but I think he's a good fit for our attack and what we need a guy in that third attacking spot to do. Um, he seems to glue a lot together in a way that is important while not just being like some functional glue guy, but is also a guy who contributes and, uh, you know, adds production on top of it so well ben i gotta admit as loath as i am to give you credit for anything ben like the way you (laughs) the way you phrased it in terms of like the erickson narrative which isn't that he's like a similar player to erickson because he's not i mean he's similar in that i think he's good on the ball and good at passing but like that's not he's not the same kind of player as erickson but the narrative the sort of career arc where it's like oh this guy who like blew up when he was 19 
and then kind of stalled when he, like in his next year and didn't really like continue exploding in the way people thought. That's exactly what happened with Erickson. That's why we were able to buy Erickson for like what was in Daniel Levy's pockets when William like bailed on us after his medical. I mean, there's something very like the narrative of him, or at least like what you see him doing of, of like, oh, he's going to prove it at Spurs. Like it's so attractive and like fun to dream on when you consider everything else that he does and how well he fits in that front line. You know, it makes him a very easy player to like, even if it looks like he's nervous about asking out the nerd in the library at high school. And uh, I don't, I do not regret getting Erickson instead of William. I think, <laughs> no, I, I think we came out the better end of that of that deal. Um, before I move on, Ben, do you want to talk about how happy you are that he's getting an Abyssal? I mean, I think I already talked about that, but I, I, I think you need to talk about it again because you were like the only actual ABBA fan that I know. So I, that's so sad. I mean, ABBA's great, and everybody should be ABBA fans. Sure. Okay. I don't think I've heard an ABBA song before today. You never saw Mamma Mia? <laughs> or Mamma no. Mia too? Dan- no. You never heard Dancing Queen? <laughs> okay, yeah, I've definitely heard Dancing Queen before. All right. I know an ABBA song. I'm Fernando. Cultured. We sang Fernando about That's Fernando true. Lorente, at least to ourselves. We did sing Fernando to <laughs> Fernando Lorente. Got me, you, got me there, guy. I don't know. Do, do don't you know. hear the drums? Was our, uh, our in the in the writers' room anytime he scored a goal? Those those couple times, or tried to fight West Ham by himself. I just accepted that that was a cultural reference. I didn't understand. Fair enough. That's fair. And then and then did no further inquiry into it. That's fair. Yeah, I feel like that's a safe approach to all of life. If you see something you don't understand, don't attempt to understand it. Just <laughs> accept that you don't understand. I think. I, for, for people venturing into another culture on a weekly basis, I think that's a very fair approach, Brian. Absolutely. Looking at the state of my Twitter feed in the in the wake of everything <laughs> going on in the last week, I think, yeah, people should just shut the fuck up and yeah. stop, just be like, stop getting a... out of this excuse. Like, this yeah. isn't for me. I don't know anything about this. I'm going to shut you the fuck up. You know what? I don't understand <laughs> anything about European geopolitics. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> um, there's a few other things I want to talk about from this game, and I want to keep it positive for a few minutes, uh, which is a real change of pace for this podcast. Uh, Kane and Son at the end of the game uh, became the duo, are officially the most high-scoring duo in the history of the Premier League. I'm still a little shocked that that's true. Not that they aren't great together, but, you know, that like, I mean, Drogba and Lampard were the ones they surpassed. I'm just a little shocked there's not some other pairing that, like, lasted longer, especially when you consider some of those, like, Ferguson teams at United and those, like, you know, Arsenal teams before they fell apart. It's just... A I little mean, shocking, but they're—I mean—they're great. It's really fun to watch these two play with each other. You know, it's like—it's a kind of a, a silly stat. Like Henri's on there twice on that list with Youngberg and and Pires that are like right behind um, Lampard and Drogba, and like all those combined and, and are behind a lot Kane of and uh, Son. Don't forget those two. That's right, and you know, also like bringing up the rear and that like that list that's going around. It's like is Ericsson and Kane, you know, like. It's just you have a, guys who score a lot of goals. <laughs> that just seems to happen. Well, it probably but, also happened because Jose Mourinho had like decided no one else was scoring goals on his team. So, I think the thing that's interesting about that stat is it's a actual partnership. 
Like they yes. have scored as many and assisted as many for each other in pretty equal numbers. Whereas everyone else is like someone's scoring 20 goals and someone's scoring five goals. And that's how that breaks down. And like the way the two of them find each other on the pitch, um, you know, on either end of it is, is really great. And surprising given that, you know, Kane is the guy with the real expansive passing range and son is less. So, well, I think the, the, but I think that's... What was that, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's interesting because Jose Mourinho sucks, but, like, they really exploded as a partnership under Mourinho, like, in a way they hadn't under Pochettino. I mean, they were still effective and dangerous, but, now again, we can joke about how much that's because there's no one else there and Mourinho had no other ideas, but, you know, it, it is something that happened um, in the last couple of years of just how, like, deadly those two became with one another. And... I mean, there's that famous clip of, uh, you know, Son's, I think it was Son who scored a goal, and he's sort of wheeling away to celebrate, and he's like, finds Kane, he's like, was that you? Did you assist me? And like, you know, like, they're genuinely excited to work together. They're just, you know, I wish Kane never wanted to leave, because it's such a wholesome partnership if he wasn't a snake, right? Um, Son is at least a wholesome and innocent individual in all of this. I mean the the pass from Kane for that that sun goal is just so good. I mean, and, and he'd had the the little through ball to Emerson that Emerson should have scored like yep. right before that. Yep. And like, I mean, he's Kane is inside his own half and takes like I don't know what a couple touches, picks his head up and just like blasts it over the top for Sun to run onto. And like, look, Sun Sun has to do some work, but like. Uh, I, I mean, if you have a center forward that passes like that, like it, it makes doing attacking things so much easier. I've really changed my tune on Kane. Like, I mean, I'm still, I'm probably never going to love Kane like I would have before. And I don't think I was ever like as big a Kane mark as some other Spurs fans were. But like, I just, God, I just don't know if we're ever going to find anyone who can do that. I'm kind of like, especially as long as we have a guy like Conte, like, you keep Kane around, you ride him till the wheels fall off. Like, whether you do that for sentimental reasons or just you're not going to find anyone better. Like, I'm tired of fucking pl- keeping ourselves, like, sustainable. Like, the athletics are losers and Billy Bean never won anything. Like, you know, like, there, there's something to be said. Like, Moneyball never did anything. Like, like keep it rolling until you, like, I don't know. I don't, like, you sell Kane for $100 million, you buy Lotaro, and that's, like, great. But he's not, I mean, Lotaro's not doing this shit. And maybe yep. that doesn't matter because we haven't really won anything under Kane, but I don't think that's the problem. Um, well, and I mean, like, he's doing, like, playmaker stuff the entire game. I mean, the last 10 minutes of the game is him basically trying to force-feed the ball to Dane Scarlett. Like, yeah, you're getting a goal. Like, Harry yeah. Kane was determined to get Dane he's Scarlett just, like, like, Scarlett's not making the right run, but Kane's making the pass, and then it's like, come on, you have to go there. And then he's like, well, you know, like it, it it's which actually you know. speaks well of Kane to be like, if we're going to call him a snake and shit, like that does speak well of him. that he is like determined to get Dane Scarlett a goal. I mean, you know, look, I, I think regardless of what happened this summer, I think he is he is for the most part on the field shown himself to be a selfless player. Um, and, and, you know, he. He he passes to his teammates when they're open. Unless they're and, Eric Yeah, I mean, you know. Unless he really wants to score. Yeah. But, I, I mean, 
he does so many things to facilitate other people and he does a lot of the dirty work and he does you know so much of our midfield ball progression while also being our number nine uh i, I just you know and this was a great performance for him he got a goal he got an assist and he he worked his ass off again I'll say this about Kane that I think, you know, there is a lot, and we are just as guilty of this as everyone else. There's a lot of jokes about how stupid Harry Kane is. And, you know, it's because, you know, he sounds a certain way. And the way he talks about, like, you know, he's just like a football robot who cares about rings and all this other stuff. There is something that I think Harry Kane deserves, like, credit for. That guy is constantly evolving his game. I mean, as a striker. Someone who's as good as he was, as young as he was. That is a guy who has constantly grown as a footballer, who is consistently doing new things year after year at a very high level. And I think he is that honestly doesn't get enough credit for like, like that. And maybe it's by necessity. Maybe it's because he's on a team that sort of demands it of him. I don't know, but he is adding like skills and tricks to his locker and in a way that makes him like, you know, valuable when he can't do certain things. But it's not just, I think, adjusting to aging. It's like he just is constantly growing as a footballer in a way that I think is genuinely very impressive. And I don't think we appreciate it enough as much as we should. And it really is, I mean, he really is extraordinary to watch. As, as kind of annoying as he can be when he demands to leave and all that other stuff. But, like, the way, I mean, think about how excellent Harry Kane was when, like, Pochettino first got that team rolling. And he's... I mean, I don't want to say he's almost a totally different player now, but he's got so many different things in his locker now that he wasn't doing back then. And it's not like it's not like Ronaldo kind of slowing down in his later years and learning to play in a different way. I mean, I think there's some of that there, but I think the way he's just grown as a footballer, I think that's more unique, I think, than we give him credit for. I don't think you see that what he's done over the last few years all that often. And I think because he's English and I think because he's at Spurs, I don't think it gets the credit that it sort of deserves. All right. That's enough. Nice stuff. Let's talk about how all these assholes are horrible at football. Yeah. Yeah. Let's no, I I don't know. I don't have a ton of huge criticisms about this game. Um, I mean, you know, it's lead, so I don't want to get too carried away. I mean, I think we, no, no, let's criticize the other one. The other. Oh, God, um, yeah. Let's so, change the subject, Mr. Host. Let's okay. go, come on. Yeah, sorry, moving. I didn't quite realize where you were going with this. Uh, trying to keep it positive. Yeah, Spurs really let us down against Burnley. I am about to have a big disagreement with Ben here and that I don't think this was, at least until the goal, a dreadful performance out of Spurs. I think it was a dis- it was disappointing, and I think Burnley sort of played their game and didn't like come out of it for Spurs, but... I think until Sessegnon conceded that free kick, I'd say Spurs were just about edging it. I don't think Burnley was much of a threat. I think we were keeping them under control. They pressed us in the first half, but I don't think it was honestly causing us a whole lot of problems other than it was stopping us from playing a little bit. But even then, I'd say that Burnley was at least slightly fortunate not to be down by the time they scored their goal. I mean... Kulishevsky had created some chances. Kane had hit the post It's or, or hit the crossbar. You know, again, I don't think this was Spurs' best performance under Conte, but, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think it was like, I mean, this wasn't Southampton. It certainly wasn't Wolves. Um, it's fucking dreadful. It like, was. I mean, it's dreadful because we it's, it's Burnley's like dragging us in the mud, and it is what it is, but, like, it wasn't. 
like they weren't whipping our ass until like you know they created a I couple mean, chances immediately after that goal. But they weren't like kicking our ass in the way Southampton or Wolves were. No, I mean they're a terrible team. Like no, they weren't like they weren't kicking us up and down the pitch and like putting a ton of shots uh, on Hugo's goal. But like we did nothing against Burnley. It's a fuck. It's fucking Burnley. They're like one of the worst teams in the league. They're a team that have beaten us twice in the last like decade plus. They're not good. And for us to walk out of that game with less than one expected goal, with you know, I think by halftime we had uh, 0.25 expected goals. Like that's just that's a terrible, terrible performance against Burnley. Like. Yes, they were fortunate to score that goal. Um, they were a little unlucky not to score a second one shortly thereafter. But I, I'm not mad about us conceding. I'm mad about us making it matter. That this a is a game where it should never be a one goal game this against is... fucking Burnley, who, you know, since then drew to Palace, lost to Liverpool. Like they're they're just not good. I mean, this was a game where I think our, like, this is the kind of game where I think Regulon would have made a difference because they didn't come out of their shape and we couldn't get the ball up the pitch fast enough. And I think, like, real wingbacks make a difference in this game. And I think that's where not having Regulon, like, this is, this is probably the game I think we've missed him the most. I mean, this is, you know, I've been banging on about this since Conte got here, is, like, when is he going to make a winger a wingback? Because, like you said, Burnley wasn't peppering our goal. They weren't doing anything. We did not need, like, the defensive prowess of two defensive midfielders and Emerson Royale and, you know, Sessegnon out there not contributing to the attack. Like, you just didn't need that level of defensive protection. You just needed more attackers on the pitch who could get in those positions and provide outlets and help us break down a team. And... You know, credit to Conte for finally doing the thing that I wanted. Uh, it didn't work. <laughs> he put Bentaleb on as a left back. I don't remember. That. Yes, no, but he brought on he brought on Lucas and Bergvine for Sess and Royale, which is like, yeah, like we didn't need those guys in those positions doing those things. And you know, I think it's telling that Emerson got the hook for for the Leeds game and Doherty got another shot who is a guy Conte has given a lot of time to. And I think seems to recognize that, you know, for all of Doherty's incredible limited game is a guy who has the tools to pop up in the box and like be a, an outlet in the final third. Um, it's like, like, it's like, it's like uh JWP where it's like, he doesn't do anything else well, but he does this one thing really well. And like how much could you carry that? Right, and when you need it and you're playing a bad team, like, you can get away with it. And I think I just wish we had been quicker to do something different. And I think, you know, coming on the back of beating Man City, I get rolling out the same lineup and figuring you could do to Burnley what you did to City. But, you know, they're a frustrating team to play against, and we got frustrated. But it's, I guess that's, like, the thing that's annoying about it is, like, you take... Wolves, Southampton, and Burnley in isolation. Go ahead. Take all the games we lost. No, no, no. I'm I'm picking them on purpose. Like, you take those games that we lost, you take each of them in isolation, and, like, none of them are, like, huge indictments on Spurs. Maybe, like, Southampton is, because, like, they really, like, nailed their tactics in that game in a way that I don't think the other teams did. 
But, like, certainly Wolves and Burnley, I think you could make the argument, like, Spurs got pretty unlucky in those two games. Like, Wolves, Hugo sort of threw the ball into his own net basically twice. And then, you know, Burnley just, like, you know, we got footballed. And there's, like, you Hugo know. fucked the, up on that one too, didn't he? No, didn't no, no. Uh, eh, I mean, sort of. I mean, that's Romero. I think it's that's Romero. Like, if you want to, like, re- Romero and Sessegnon, if you really want to, like, cast blame in that game. But, like. You know, individually, those are all sort of like, yeah, it's not like we got carved open or whatever, but it's like, it's frustrating that we're like throwing points away to teams that, you know, maybe I'm not being fair to Wolves, but teams that I feel like we ought to beat. And, you know, some of that I think is down to the personnel we have. And I think like in the summer, after the summer, it's probably going to be addressed in some way, shape or form. It's just like, on the one hand, it's like, it's not like something that Conte does that I feel like has been like sussed out. But on the other hand, it's, it's deeply annoying that it keeps happening. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I I think individual errors were, were a part of this game too. We're not, not errors, but like weaknesses. I think, you know, this is the first game where we kind of see, you know, Romero's like sort of defensive weakness in that, you know, look, he's maybe not as strong in the air or, or on set pieces as, as we would like, but like defending during the run of play, he's great. But like, you know, having him mark Ben me at the far post against Burnley on set pieces is maybe not going to work out great for us. And, you know, it almost led to, it did lead to one goal, almost led to a second. So I, I don't know. I think, you know, there was weird refereeing decisions. There was just unluck in attack. Like, you know, unluck, the opposite of luck disluck we were dislucked um i don't know i mean like how does ben davis hit nick pope in the chest from six yards away yeah the the entire goal to aim at and you fire it right at the keeper's chest the keeper had no idea it was coming and like the announcers are like oh that's just excellent positioning right there i'm like nah he didn't move he did ben davis just kicked it right look what i found yeah yeah you know so i i don't know i i think it's the Burnley game is tough to swallow after Man City. And then it's made even tougher to swallow by our manager's reaction after. The yeah. Game. So let's talk about that. Conte apparently has had like three or four meltdowns in the last few weeks that are progressively, at least speaking only for myself, getting more and more stressful to deal with because you know, I don't think Conte is going to quit anytime soon. I think he's probably going to be here in the next season. But, like, having every member of the press gleefully, like, talking about it and every Spurs fan having a mental, including myself, having a mental breakdown over it, like, it's not fun. It's not productive. It's it's very annoying. Today he came out with some interview that said, oh, it was all a calculated measure to, like, motivate the players, which... You know, I can believe Conte's being a little dramatic to get a reaction on some level, but, like, I don't think that's entirely true. I am just very exhausted with this, like, maybe I should leave bullshit after every match. Because, I mean, there's a point, like, I understand this whole thing. Because there's a lot of Spurs fans, I think, who are getting very excited about Conte telling the club hard truth. But there's just, like, I feel like a lot of Spurs fans who have been, like, broken by the last two or three years and, like, you know, if they're not like, 
if you're not slamming spurs, you're just being like a delusional happy clapper or something. And it's it's very exhausting to me because like I understand what Conte's saying about like, oh, there's players that don't have the right mentality or back lines not in the right place, da 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 da. But like saying it after every match and implying maybe you need to quit is not productive. Like it's not good. I can't imagine it's good to put the players on edge every week. And it's exhausting for seemingly everyone involved. So I don't know. I like, I don't mind sort of sticking a boot up the player's ass, especially after a game like Burnley, but this whole like rending of garments in public is very, it's becoming very tiresome very quickly. I mean, it's just like we already are dealing with like a roller coaster of results and performances we don't need like the accompanying roller coaster of Conte's like public emotional meltdown. It's like, you know, on some level you can, you know, try and rationalize and see what he's doing. And like, Oh, when he's saying he's not good enough, he's like, he's taking the blame on himself and, you know, saying he was the problem and needs to do more, but like, it doesn't read that way to anybody. (laughs) Like, you know, we're all like just trying to like put a positive spin on it at best. And at worst, we're reading it for exactly like it sounds, where it sounds like he's so sad and so miserable and can't do anything with this team. And it's just like, yeah, it's just not helpful. And I think, you know, having this Leeds result come after Burnley and, you know, after Man City, it's like the narrative is like on such a short (laughs) timeline. Yes. It was like, you know, before Leeds, it was like we had the Southampton Wolves losses and then a blip against Man City and then a loss against Burnley that brings us back down to our terrible where we belong Spurs level. And now a few days later, you got to add one more win and it's like, oh, yeah, Burnley was just like a weird blip in between these two really impressive victories. And like, surely we're going to kick on to something better. And like, it's just it's all just too much. And like, I just need us to get somewhere that feels like a consistent project and process. But you and know, like, like, even if we lose, like to feel like it's part of some growing pains and not that's like the a thing. disaster. Like, if Conte's not having a meltdown after these matches, right. that's what it is. Like no one like look, we are way better under Conte this year than anyone had any right to expect after sort of what he took over. And frankly, like, we've probably been a little unlucky, like, over the broad swath of the season. Like, when you look at our XG and our finishing rates and where Kane's been, you know, like, we probably should have picked up some more points. But I don't think there's anyone in the world. I think, like, we might be a little disappointed if we miss Champions League now because things were going so well for so long there. But, like, you know, I don't think anyone's going to, like, feel anything. If, If we just weren't, inundated with this like Conte's gonna leave bullshit you know I don't think anyone who's a Spurs fan isn't gonna feel excited about going into next season after what they sort of managed to accomplish this year I mean we've looked incredible under Conte and so even in losses we've looked better than we looked under Nuno I mean better than we looked under Mourinho for the most part and I think if it weren't for all the chicken little you know not backing the manager he's gonna quit if if it weren't for all that that we went through in january um conte's post-match reaction may not have moved the needle as much as it did but there are there are some in our fan base that are 
so determined that every sort of uh, every sort of setback or perceived setback for Spurs is the end of everything that is good, that it just really makes, um, you know, doing this exhausting. And it's just, I, th- I think we all kind of accepted that when Conte came in, like, okay, you know, look, there's things we can accomplish this year, but this is an appointment for next year. This is, the, and, and not in the way that, you know, Nuno was an appointment for, you know, whatever, or, or approach Tino was like building. Yeah. Like Conte, Conte is, you know, has to get his team, has to get them, you know, familiar with his system. And then, you know, after X amount of time, the results come. And I mean, he's shown that at Juventus, he's shown that at Chelsea, he's shown that at Inter Milan. And so, you know, most of us were saying, all right, look, this this year is whatever we get out of this year is great. You know, we get an FA Cup run. We get a Carabao Cup run. We somehow luck our way into fourth. That's awesome. Next year is the year. And so when people started saying, all right, look, we're not even going to make it to next year with Conte like that, then makes every single thing like a new disaster. And it's like it's not helpful. Well, and and I mean, Conte can turn around and have this new narrative that, you know, oh, it was about motivating certain players and da 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 da. I don't know, man. Then say it in the locker room, because uh, I, I don't think the players care if you tell the press you're going to fucking quit. Like, I don't think that's constructive in any way, shape or form. Um, and I don't know, maybe read the room a little bit. Uh, you know, like maybe you should be like, eh, not great, but, you know, these things happen. Like, you know, I don't think any Spurs fan would have a meltdown if Conte walked out there and been like, this shit's not good enough. These players need to, like, get real because if they don't, like, next year there's going to be other, like, you know, we got a big budget this summer and there's going to be a lot of new players here. I don't think any Spurs fan would have had a problem with that. But, yeah, like you said, Brian, it's this chicken little thing. And it just, speaking as a fan who's, like, way too online and interacting with other Spurs fans, there's just this large contingent of Spurs fans who are just, like, you know, like, they view any sort of opportunity to be negative about the club as an opportunity for them to prove they're not, like, a sheep. They're not going along with, like, the company line, man. And if they just yell loud enough about Enoch out or, you know, like how the club needs to actually do the painful rebuild that Pochettino talked about, like it's going to happen when like, you know, I don't know, like maybe, maybe I am being a little bit of a happy clapper here, but like you look at like, we, we just shipped out at least temporarily, like some very big signings this past window at the behest of our manager, something that we were not willing to do for Jose Mourinho. And, you know, spent a decent amount of money in the January transfer window. I, mean, I, I don't know. Like, we'll see where we are after the summer. But, you know, I think so far they have demonstrated really going all in on contact. And just this, like, insistence on being negative. And you saw it a little bit with Sessegnon this week when, when the news came out that we were offering an improved contract, which... It's not something I'm super convinced by, but I'm hardly going to be out here talking about, like, well, Spurs need better players and Spurs are awful and all this other stuff. Like, I don't know. It's like people are just finding reasons to make themselves miserable because I think they think 
you know, if they're being miserable, then that means they're being honest, and that means they're being, like, better fans or more, you know, like, they get, like, you know, points for being realistic or something. I don't know. It's, but it's, it's just creating such a toxic atmosphere that, like, it just takes, like, the slightest thing to set that off again. Yeah, I mean, we just need something to calm things down. And, yeah. like, nothing's going to calm things down like results. Uh, <laughs> you can see it now after Leeds. Like, things are <laughs> way calmer than they, I mean, every Spurs fan was ready to jump off a ledge last week after Burnley and, and that interview. And things are just much calmer after we put four past Leeds. I mean, we're a volatile club with a very emotional fan base that does not handle this kind of roller coaster well at all. Like, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I'm like, I'm amazed at Arsenal fans and their like seeming patience with Arteta. And like, as it went not so good for like a really long time before it suddenly turned around, I didn't feel like there was like, the same kind of emotional volatility they were experiencing. I feel I like there was in latter era Wenger, and then I think it broke them when it didn't get better right away after they fired him. Yeah, I, I just don't know like how to achieve that level of zen with like something new, <laughs> like unless it's just like automatically like good. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to take for us. I don't, I don't know if we're capable of that. Maybe I'm giving Arsenal fans too much credit. I mean, definitely. <laughs> but you're married to one, so I don't think we can avoid that. So. It's true. I just, you know, I just don't think it's going to get better this season. And, I, you know, I think no, it, unless we, like, win out or, or you know, win 10 of our last 12 matches, I, I just don't. I, I think we're just going to deal with the same sort of cyclical thing. Like, now maybe Conte doesn't have a, a meltdown in the press after uh, every week. But, you know, we're this is going to be kind of our fan basis cycle, I think, for the rest of the season. And, you know, uh, it, we've got a fairly easy run the rest of the way. So hopefully uh, it's not too bad in terms of reactions. I think, you know, the, the best teams we play the rest of the way are United and Liverpool. And everybody else is pretty bad. And so, Arsenal. yeah. Still waiting for that to get scheduled. I was like, I was looking at the schedule. I'm like, that's not actually on here. I think, um, I think we have yeah. to wait till Arsenal gets their like binky and bottle before that one gets scheduled. So, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I, 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 I don't know. I, I think, you know, big picture. It, it's all still there to play for for us. Like, you know, we, like I said, we've got a fairly easy run in. We can concede, if we play well, we can conceivably win 10 of these last 12 matches. And, you know, that puts us in really good position for top four. Even winning, you know, eight of them probably puts us in really good position for top four. Because um, that would put us on, now I have to do math, um, that would put us on 66 points. Um, which is probably pretty good for top four, I think. Um, I don't know. I, I So if we don't get top four, what's like the worst case scenario that you're still like pretty okay with? Or uh, honestly, I, honestly, if we don't get top four, I I, I don't care. 
I mean, you know, as like, long as Conte's here next year, like that's all I want. Like at this point, yeah. So I think that has to be the measuring stick. Like, what is Conte willing to I accept? Mean, what, is Conte willing to say, "Hey, you know, I don't care about European football as long as we're paying money for players." I think, though, that I think kind of what we've seen is that footballers do care about European football. I think we saw that especially with the the Pau Torres transfer that we allegedly tried to do over the summer. So, like, you know, if footballers care about which European competition we're in, then obviously you want to try to be fifth or sixth so you, so you are in the Europa League. Um, you know, so... I, I mean, this is going to sound... Yeah, I, I want to see us in Europe in the Champions League, largely because it'll help our ability to sign players. Like, I mean, obviously I want to play in the Champions League, but yeah, it's it's about recruitment for me. And like, frankly, the things that worry me is like, I want to keep Kane and I want to keep Conte. Like, those are the two things I want to see us walk into next season with as like a foundation. And anything that sort of helps that, and I think Champions League would go a long way to making those things happen. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're right that Last summer was so unsettled by trying to find a new manager and trying to figure out the Kane situation and not having to deal with those problems again so we can address all the other problems um, and, like, have that be stable. That's probably, like, all I'm asking for. So, yeah, let's beat Arsenal. Let's have a good run-in over the rest of the season. And, you know, if we fall short, we fall short. But as long as everyone's happy to give it another go, I guess that's probably fine. I don't know. Let's let's win a cup. That would be nice. I mean, like winning a cup would make everything. Look at Arsenal. Like they won the FA Cup under Arteta, and it's like let them excuse like two years of largely mediocre football. I mean, if we play Manchester City in a cup final, maybe we can beat them. <laughs> It didn't work well the last time, but sure, let's try it again. <laughs> well, but last think, time we had Ryan Mason as yeah, our manager. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Unless, unless, unless. Conte quits. <laughs> and then Ryan Mason is forced to make, because, you know, obviously we didn't finish where Conte wanted, so he quits. Um, Harry Kane is transferred before the match even takes place. <laughs> and then, so Ryan, Ryan Mason is left to start. Uh, all his friends plus Dane Scarlett. Um, that would be bad, I guess. <laughs> well, on that note, I think it's time to end this podcast. Brian, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Comrade Uspers. You can find our podcast on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And don't forget to find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.